Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Growing Through Grief podcast. I'm your host, Diana Curtis, and I am so glad you're here. And I know that you're going to be glad that you're here as well once you hear our guest. This is someone who knows how to move grief gracefully. And guess what? Her name is Grace. I am so happy to welcome Grace. But let me tell you a little bit about her before I have her speak. So her name is Grace Bella Harmon. She, her, and hers. She's a registered dance slash movement therapist and embodied grief guide based in New Orleans. Her work is centered on the physical body movement while processing and metabolizing grief. Through her individual and group programs, as well as events and retreats, she guides people to connect to their own embodied wisdom and help them build resilience and ultimately be transformed by their grief. She believes grieving is a sacred process that deserves its own attention and time. It's never too late to start moving grief. Welcome, 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 Grace. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yay. I had to repeat the phrase never too late because it just reminded me on a personal level that when my mom died and I was three, no one talked about grief. It just people didn't understand grief at the Mm -hmm. time. So it took me decades later before I realized I needed to grieve my mother. So mm-hmm. I want to say that to our listeners one more time. It is never too late to grieve. Absolutely never too late. So with that, Grace, I'm just going to ask you if there is anything you would like to share with the listeners before we get started. And then we're just going to go through a little journey here. Yeah. I mean, thank you for having me. I don't have anything particular to share right now. I'm just looking forward to kind of getting into the conversation with you. Okay. So when I first met you, it was the phrase, move the grief. Move your grief. Mm -hmm. Move your grief. And I love that phrase so much that I've done a part one to move your grief. So this is part two, and you are going to bring a different perspective on it. And I remember one of the phrases you used was a grieving body. 
You said the body is trying to live without the person, the thing, whether it's a death or a divorce or a breakup. Can you elaborate more on mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So oftentimes, in, especially in you know the sort of dominant American U.S. culture, we think that we talk about grief as if it's an intellectual experience, right? We say things like, you just have to keep pushing through or, you know, you just have to get your mind right or you just have to, you know, think happy thoughts, all of which we know doesn't work, right? Because, and the reason is because grief is an embodied experience. It's in the physical body, right? And so when we go right to the mind, we actually bypass the experience of grieving in the body and, and oftentimes it's easy for us to get stuck. So the reason the grief is so painful is because the body is physically figuring out how to live without our people or without our pet or without a job, a relationship, or whatever it is. And that's because our bodies learn how to be in relationship, right? We learn from relationship. That's the way that we learn from the time that we're born, right? So the reason grief is so painful is because our bodies are in that middle ground of, I used to have you and now I don't. And that letting go and that holding on, that middle ground between this realm and the next realm, if it's a death, it's really that very uncomfortable middle, I don't know, uncomfortable, keep saying uncomfortable because it's really uncomfortable, (laughs) but that in between, right? That liminal space. And culturally, we're not very good at being in the the in-between without a clear beginning, middle, and end, right? We're not very good at being here without knowing where we're going to go. But grief is all about the being, and it's not really about the doing at all. Right. I love that. I love, love, love that. So can you talk a little bit more about the and we're going to hit on your most compelling grief story, but I just want to get into this grieving body because yeah. as you know, uh, I think we talked about my, I built a whole system around the four pillars of grief. And one is the physical aspect. Mm-hmm. Of course, the mental is always there. And it appears that that's what most people talk about, the mental, which is very, very important because creation starts mentally in the mind. So tell us a little bit more about the middle. You said Mm -hmm. the beginning, the middle, and the end. So Mm -hmm. when I'm in the middle of it, tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, it can look and feel lots of different ways for different people. Often folks have issues with digestion or nausea. It's very common to have lower back pain, lower belly pain, because if you know anything about the chakra system, that's like the root chakra, which is all about, you know, feeling comfortable and feeling safe and and feeling supported. It's really common to have pain in the hips, um, because again, that's all about stability and you're finding your stability again. Obviously pain in the heart, pain in the heart area. It's very common to have, you know, burning sensations. But really any way that your body feels in grief is is yours, right? There's no right or wrong way to experience it. And there's no clear, like, I'm feeling this way because of this. Ultimately, your body as a whole is just learning how to live without what you used to know. And that can manifest in all kinds of ways. And my work is really about creating the sacred space so people can move towards the sensations as opposed to away from them or to ignore them, right? 
um, because if we never move towards them, if we're always avoiding them, then it gets stuck, right? And it can turn into lots of other things that have nothing to do with grief um, and that are actually a lot harder to move through. Yeah. So for those of you who don't understand what the shocker centers are, they're just little pockets of energy that is in our bodies. And as Grace just described, when we don't process the energy of grief, grief is an emotion. So if we don't process it, it just gets stuck in the body and those energy centers, energy chakras, whatever you would like to call them. So she also shared how grief shows up physically if it's not processed. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of the number one reason why we want to befriend grief and allow ourselves to process it in the fashion that we understand. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. I wanted to jump into the grieving body, but can you share with us your most compelling grief story? I know we talked about one major significant loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, the loss that really kind of catapulted me on this journey of personal development, as well as, you know, holding space for others was the loss of my mom. And this was in the winter of 2018. And she had been living with metastatic breast cancer for like five years, I think. And metastatic breast cancer is really unpredictable, right? People can live for six months. They can live for 10 years. It's really kind of unknown when a person will die. But as I look back on it, I know that she was dying before I was told because my body was responding, because I was having issues sleeping. I was having dreams of her dying. I was having like these specific bodily pains. And it was like, my body was trying to tell me, hey, your mom's about to die. And that started, you know, six months, I think, before she actually died. And so the actual process, once, you know, the doctor gave her three months to live, or maybe it was a month for her to remember at this point, but it happened quite quickly once the doctor sort of like gave the note, I guess. I was living in Chicago at the time and I'm from Philly and we got the call. I remember I was, I was waiting outside the dentist's office after dental surgery. I was waiting for the bus and I got the call that the doctor had you know, told us that, you know, she had, I think it was a month left to live. And even before that, I had gotten a call from my aunt Deb who, you know, my mom was really, really, I learned later, she was really clear. She didn't want anyone to tell me, like, she didn't want me to come back from school if I didn't actually absolutely have to. She didn't want me to take time away. She didn't want me to to leave, basically. And so she protected me from, I think, too much, honestly, but she protected me from knowing all of the sort of ins and outs of what was going on with her. And the reality is she was, you know, she was in the hospital, she was quite ill and, and And I didn't really know what was going on. But I think, yeah, a week before I got that call, maybe it was a few days, I, yeah, I got a call from my Aunt Deb and she basically said something like, you know, if I, when my mom died, I was really glad that I got the time to go and be with her before that. And that's all she said, you know, but I remember I was like standing outside of work and I just broke down and I was like, okay, this is, this is coming. 
And then the doctor called and broke down again, like on the bus, just sobbed all the way back to my apartment and booked a flight and was on a flight to Philly, you know, a couple of days later, I think. And then within five hours, I think, of me getting there, she died. So it was like she was waiting for me to die. That's kind of the, the messaging that we all got. Because by the time I got there, she was, you know, once cancer gets to your brain, you're really not fully there. So she was kind of garbling and it, it wasn't really her at that point. But I got there and I got into bed with her. And, you know, of all the like death stories that you hear, it was a really, it was beautiful, you know, it was me and it was her partner and, you know, her closest friends. And when it came time, we called the rabbis who, you know, one of them lived across the street and they started to sing and we were all, of course, sobbing and, you know, emotional, but we were all with her uh, mm-hmm. as she passed on, passed over. And yeah, that was the death. I was lucky in that, you know, I was in this very intensive master's program at the time with, you know, people who understood. So I think I was able to take like a month off of school or something, which is rare. And that week was in, you know, in Jewish tradition, we sit Shiva. So you, so it's just a time for mourning. So you... So people come, people were coming through the house that whole week and just, you know, paying their respects. And yeah, I think maybe three weeks, three weeks later, I went back to Chicago. Is there any part of the journey leading up to her dying that you regret or you grieved, i.e. maybe more time with her? Hmm. No, the only part that I wish was a little bit different is that I, I wish I'd had more time. Like you said, I wish I had, you know, gone to Philly earlier. I wish that she hadn't protected me so much, you know. And, you know, this is like a lesson, I think, for all of us, right? Because those of us who have children or those of us who have partners or whatever, it's really a lesson to to be really honest with our people. But for her in that moment, for us, I think it was just too painful to tell me. So what else comes up for you when you make the statement, I wish she hadn't protected me. Is there anything else there in terms of, and what I'm getting at is grief has companions. Mm -hmm. Grief has friends, (laughs) whether it's guilt, Mm -hmm. shame, doubt, worry, fear. Mm -hmm. Any of that? No. I mean, I think at the beginning, of course, I was angry and there there was some of that that I had to work through. But for now, you know, it's really just love, you know, she, she yeah. was doing the best that she could. And yeah, all those companions are super, super normal and super important to name. So I'm glad that you're calling attention to those. But yeah, no, I mean, for now, it's just kind of understanding what, what was going on for her. But at the time, there was definitely a lot of anger and sadness that I had to be with, move with. I love that you used the word beautiful. You got in the bed with her and it was quite beautiful. I don't know Mm -hmm. that I've ever heard anyone say that before. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you were already working on your master's to become um, dance movement therapist. Mm -hmm. Did you have the tools at that point to help you move the grief and process? If so, tell us about it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting question because I I did, but they weren't any, any tools that I learned. It was really all in within me. 
so I'm lucky in that I come from a family where emotions are really welcomed and expressed. And so, you know, that whole week after she died, it was, I was like in my pajamas and I would just kind of melt to the floor sobbing multiple times a day with people coming in and out and, and no one shamed me or was freaked out or anything like that. It was just, you know, accepted. And so that's important to name because that's been true my whole life. And so I already have the feeling in my body of expressing emotion and being accepted and being witnessed and being seen in that, right? So it's kind of both. I had the the embodied awareness, the connection with my body that I needed to move. And so I just did. I didn't question it. I didn't try to stop it. And the art and the, the dance of living with fresh grief is something that no one teaches you. No one, no one taught me how to do that. But for me, what I ended up doing is, you know, creating sacred time in the morning to just move my grief before I left for the day. And that was from a professor who I, I said, I was like, how do I do this? Like, how do I, how do I live with grief? And he was like, you ritualize it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. <laughs> so I did. And that's, yeah, that's kind of what my whole work is based around now. So I hope that, I hope I answered your question. I it did it answer the particular. question. And I just yeah. want to go back in case anyone missed, you just gave some very good nuggets and you said it more than once that feeling and processing the pain of grief and loss, it's not about doing anything. It's about being with the grief, the pain. I also heard you say you never question it. You just allowed it when it comes up. Mm-hmm. It's a dance. Mm-hmm. Just dance with it. Mm-hmm. Just flow with it. Let it come up through your body mm-hmm. and release it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And easier said than done, right? I mean, it's painful. So <laughs> it's like there were so many times when I wanted to stop it, right? But I knew that it would be more painful to stop it. Mm. Than, than to just let it overtake me. Like, especially, you know, months later when I would be in class and I'd just get overwhelmed. Like, I really wanted to be able to stop it, but I couldn't, you know, like it was just too powerful. Wow, I love how you talk about grief. So the stopping is too painful. And I would add that you stop it, you push it back down. It's coming back up eventually. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like a recycling. So why not just let it come on through and come on out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as now maybe something new the next time doesn't necessarily mean you're healed from it, but at least you were able to process in that moment. So I believe resistance is really powerful in a lot of people's life. They just resist the pain because they're afraid. Sure. They don't want to feel it. So sure. your professor said ritualize grief. That's another mm-hmm. one new. That's another new one for me. Mm-hmm. Anything else you would like to add to that statement? I mean, if you think about ritual as, you know, a sacred time for whatever the thing is. So that can look different for everybody. For me, my ritual, um, I already had a meditation practice in the morning. So that just turned into my grief time. And I made an altar and put some photos and some, you know, special objects. And I just kind of made a practice of surrendering to the grief every morning. And this is kind of like the biggest thing that I want people to understand is that 
so many of us are told that if we surrender to our grief and told both verbally and non-verbally, right, shown as well, but we're told that if we surrender to our grief, then we won't be able to get back up. Or maybe we feel it in our bodies that if we surrender to this pain, that we won't be able to get back up, that it'll just be too overwhelming and we'll just like stay there. And it's actually the opposite that's true, that if we let ourselves surrender to our grief, then it becomes easier to live with grief. And not surrender to it all day, but create the sacred time, create the ritual for the grief to, to let it process, to let it move. It's like attending to, you know, a crying baby. If we just ignore the crying baby all day long, what do you think is going to happen, right? Baby's going to get sick. Baby's going to, you know, lots of things might happen. But if you just attend to the crying baby and fresh grief really does make us feel like, like a baby, Right. If you just attend to that and create the time to attend to that, then it becomes easier to function and eat and thrive, you know, outside of grief, outside of the rest of your life. Yeah, I love that analogy. So what would you, for some reason, I know this is not new, but it has crossed my path the last two or three months. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few women who are in heartbreak due to a breakup mm-hmm. and they're just feeling that sense of hopelessness, Mm -hmm. don't know what to do, how to stop the pain, what would you tell her? She's like in it. And Mm -hmm. there are like lots of unexpected, uncontrollable crying. Mm -hmm. What would you tell her? Yeah, I would tell her the same thing that my professor told me, which is You've got to set it, set aside some time each day to let yourself be in that, to let yourself cry, to let yourself move and shake and write, draw, like whatever wants to come from, from that grief, from that loss, because it's real, right? Like the, the thing with breakups and heartbreak is that you, it usually activates, you know, older, younger losses or older parts of us that have felt abandoned or felt, you know, left behind or hurt in some way. So it's really important to attend to to that feeling because it's, like you said, it's not going to go away just on its own. Grief doesn't actually get better with time, which is as we're often told, we have to actually attend to it over time. (laughs) And when I say ritualized, sometimes people say like, oh, what's that, you know, like hippy dippy thing. And it really is just setting aside time to, to be in that feeling and let it be expressed us as it needs to be. And the time doesn't need to be two hours. It can be 20 minutes. But the uncontrollable nature of that is, is, is usually because the feeling, the underlying feeling hasn't gotten its own time to just be what it is. And so we find ourselves, you know, sobbing in the middle of a, of a meeting or something, which by the way, totally normal. But the more that you can attend to the feeling itself and set aside the time for it, just with you and the feeling, not with anybody else around, then the easier it becomes to, to learn to carry it. Mm, yeah, so it's safe. Yeah. It's safe. Mm-hmm. You mentioned time several times. What is your opinion about, I realize there is no timeline when it comes mm-hmm. to grief, mm-hmm. but in terms of the pain softening, that mm-hmm. it's just not in your face as it was when it initially happened. What's your opinion about that? Well, one, I'll just say that time is not linear when it comes to grief. So there's not going to be a beginning, a middle, and there's not going to be an end because grief is yours to carry for life. And it's cyclical more than it is linear. So 
things are going to come up three, four years down the line that you may have thought was okay, or, or something might trigger a feeling and you might start crying. All of that is totally normal. Mm-hmm. And I think that we really have to get away from the pathologizing of grief and the thinking that it does happen on a particular timeline, right? Or that there are specific ways to, that someone should be feeling, you know, one year, two year, three years on the line. And I won't put a, like a number on this. Cause again, I don't think there is one, but the, there has to come a point when you're like, okay, how am I functioning in my grief? Is my grief a part of me or is my grief running the show? Right. And in the first year, two years, Grief is pretty much running the show, right? That's that's normal. But the more that we can set aside, like I said, sacred time for the grief, the more that it gets its own time, the more that we can start to blend it in with the fabric of our whole lives. And we start to understand that, yes, I'm a person carrying grief. I am not my grief. My grief is a part of me, but I am not my grief, right? right. But that's going to happen differently on different timelines for every person. Yeah. So you mentioned, I think of this when I think of the heartbreak, you know, the boyfriend, the husband, whatever, just breaks your heart. You mentioned, uh, I say boyfriend, it could be a girlfriend. We're talking to men too. (laughs) Don't want to leave the men out. That younger self and that older self. And I'll give an example for me, my brother died April 30th of this year. And right at the bottom of that root energy center. It got activated. Mm -hmm. A sad heart will, in my case, will dig deep to the root of your being and bring up old stuff. Old Mm -hmm. stuff that thought I had healed. Mm -hmm. As in losing a mom and feeling abandonment. Mm -hmm. So when I lose my brother, what do I feel? I feel Mm -hmm. abandoned. I feel Mm -hmm. rejected. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when there's a heartbreak or you keep going after the same person that keeps breaking your heart, this case, we're going to say a male and a female, he keeps breaking your heart, but you keep going back. Right. And it's that younger part of you <laughs> felt mm-hmm. abandoned. Maybe when dad left or mom left, whomever left, and you're trying to feel that void. So you're still grieving that you haven't healed the childhood stuff. So that trauma gets activated in this new trauma and loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any comment to that? Yeah, it's super, super normal, super common. The thing that often comes up for me is like, what is the part of you that you feel, you know, is lacking? Whatever that is, usually that's the part that people are trying to seek in somebody else, right? And as we know, that doesn't really work, not for long anyway, um, because ultimately nobody will ever make you happy if you're not happy with yourself, right? It comes from inside, from within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your definition of grief? I think the one that I, I'm trying to think, what do I usually, <laughs> what do I usually say when I talk about grief? Uh, it's the response to a loss of any kind. And, you know, like we say, grief can be from a death. That's, that's the most, you know, common part. It can be from a relationship. It can be from a pet. It can also just be from, you know, loss of a part of yourself. It can be from loss of your own identity. There's so many layers of grief that, you know, most people are walking around with all the time. But that's kind of the general definition that I use. 
Okay. So I want to repeat what you said about the heartbreak and maybe the young lady is recycling this love relationship with the same guy who keeps breaking her heart. I heard you say that you want to pay attention to what's missing from within you. That's where the work is because that other person cannot fill in the gap. It has to come from within. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me about the dual process of grieving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is related to what I was talking about earlier with ritual, but basically, and I don't know who came up with this model. So sorry, I'm not citing my sources right now, but somebody came up with this model of the dual process of grief, which basically means that you have to have your grief time and you have to have non-grief time and we need both. And non-grief time is watching TV, painting your nails, walking your dog, like all the things, cleaning your your dishes, all the things that are part of regular life. Your grief time is crying. The ritual time that I talked about is going to therapy, is going to your grief group, whatever is specifically focused on your grief. Maybe it's journaling, but that we all need both. And that if you're too much in your grief time, then you're not really present with the rest of your life. And if you're too much in other life and the rest of your life and you're not tending to your grief, then the grief gets stuck. And what does stuck grief look like or feel like? It can manifest as anxiety and depression and, you know, all manner of chronic pain that that people often end up taking medication for. It can manifest as a relationship problems and addiction, eating disorders, all kinds of things. When really one of the root cause is grief. So we need both. That's basically the the dual process. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. So you talked about, I call it disguised grief. And one of my mentors said, well, how can you call it disguised grief? People know when they're grieving. But I agree with you. There are times when you don't attribute it to grief, you know, Mm -hmm. even sleepless nights or Mm -hmm. unexplained illnesses. You've had Mm -hmm. all the test results and the doctors actually can't find anything wrong. Mm -hmm. But in fact, the root cause could potentially be unresolved grief stuck Mm -hmm. in your body. So Mm -hmm. I call it disguised grief. Mm -hmm. That works for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to, to name that there's multiple factors, right? Like there's probably a loss, but there's probably also other other things that contributed to it, right? Or like no one is a monolith and there's never like just one thing that contributes to an issue. But, and if that started a- around the time of a loss, then it's likely that that's, you know, a part of the puzzle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that time is moving so quickly. So a couple of other questions. Never ending pool of inspiration. Hmm. Elaborate on that. It was a phrase you used when I first spoke to you. You said grief is a never ending pool of inspiration. Yes. So what I mean when I say that is, and this is my own experience, of course, right? But for me, my grief is deep and wide. And the more that I spend time with it, the more that it teaches me, the more that I'm inspired by it. I would say particularly in the year, like two years right after my mom died, that was an incredible time for me of creativity. Like my art was explosive, 
my writing was explosive. Like so much stuff came through me from, you know, which, and also my spiritual life exploded. Like there was so much that happened as a result of my grief Mm. because of letting myself be in the grief because of setting aside time to really move my grief and to let it move my body. So much inspiration came through from that time and continues to come through. Like I'm never, I'm never because of the work I do now, I'm kind of like always thinking about grief, right? There's always a, a comparison that I can make. You know, I'll give you an example. Recently, my partner and I were in Mexico and we were walking around this national park in Uruapan, which is in central Mexico. And I was just struck by all of the these examples in nature of like the palm trees and the fish in the ponds. And it was like all around me, there was examples of both life and death. And this same thing, like this palm tree, there was death at the bottom and there was life on top. And I was like, and this has struck me before, right? But I was like, wow, yeah, death and life, it's all one cycle. And we need that too. Humans are the same way. We can't have life without death and we can't have death without life. And so the more that we let ourselves be in our bodies in grief, the more that we understand that. And the more that we understand that we don't actually have to choose, the more able we are to hold complexity. And again, to be in that uncomfortable middle ground of being, of I don't know, of uh, this hurts, you know, all of that, all of those sensations that's a between point between life and death, right? Yeah. Ultimately, that's what that is. And it's a metaphor for lots of things, right? Like what parts of ourselves have to die in order to live the way we want to. You know, I could go on about this, but basically I see grief metaphors and death metaphors all the time. And it's totally kind of like blasted open my my eyes and my, and my worldview. Yeah, and it's just kind of, it's it's never not there right? There's somebody is always dying and something is always dying. It's like a constant cycle of of death and rebirth. Yeah. And we get to choose our definition, our experience of death. You know, most people think it is the end. I say it's the beginning of something new. It's different from Hmm. what you had previously, but there's a new journey. There's a new opportunity. And as you said, it's easier said than done to, we can talk about this, but when it happens, uh, it's totally different. So that pool of inspiration, the life and death, the life cycle, mm-hmm. in the word inspiration is what? In spirit. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that just, you know, be in the body with grief being connected to spirit Mm -hmm. will certainly create an opportunity for you to feel safe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that intuitive guidance, you know, you're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. That it's not just your human powers that, that other sense of power that is much stronger and more powerful than you and I in the humanness could ever experience. So I love the word inspiration. Mm -hmm. Um, As I said earlier, part of my program is the spiritual, the mental, emotional, and the physical. So that spirit part, and I'm, I'm not talking religion for people who are listening, thinking I'm going somewhere religiously. No, this is not about religion. It's about Mm -hmm. your intuition. It's about 
going beyond the physical senses, you know, mm-hmm. that knowingness that there's something deeper, as you said, grief is deep, something deeper than what we know in mm-hmm. humanness, in, mm-hmm. in our sweet little ego. Mm-hmm. And I love you said your creativity just skyrocketed as you begin to elevate and connect back to your spirit. Mm-hmm. So beautiful, beautiful. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I could talk yeah, and- much, much longer, but our time is, <laughs> it is like moving really, really too fast here. So let me ask you one other thing, and then we'll talk about what you're doing in the world so you can yeah. share with the listeners what's going on. You gave a lot and the listeners will have to go back and just you know, take notes, get your pad out. If you didn't have one, take some notes and make sure that you capture everything that Grace has said, because she's given us some really, really great gems here. Give our listeners three to five easy steps that let's say I'm having a meltdown in the middle of the grocery store aisle. What would you recommend I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, did you want to demonstrate what I could a, do? Well, I don't know if you'll be able to demonstrate it with my headphones on. So I'll just, I'll walk you through. Okay. So I love that you gave this example because it's super normal and super common, right? So yeah, you see like the bananas or whatever and you start crying. Right. One, I would, bananas, right? Right. Or whatever. <laughs> so one, I would say you, if, if you start crying and you don't want to, that's okay, right? It's okay to shut it down. It's okay to, you know, take a breath and shut it down. Mm-hmm. But you get to decide if you want to or if you don't want to. Now, sometimes it's uncontrollable and you actually don't really get a choice. The grief just kicks over. In that case, I would say find somewhere where you can get some spinal support. So you might lean your back against a wall or a shelf. You might go outside and lean against the outside of the store, but find some place where your back can feel support. And that doesn't necessarily mean like lying on the ground because you're not going to do that in the grocery store, but find somewhere where you can lean. And I recommend placing your hand on your heart or somewhere else that feels grounding for you. So you go, you find some spinal support, place your hand on your heart and keep your eyes open. So keep aware of the surroundings because this is about letting it move, but also being present with where you are, right? So take a breath and take as many breaths as you need while, you know, keeping your eyes open and you don't need to look around, right? Like stay present with yourself, but you want to be aware of your surroundings because at least in my experience, when I close my eyes in that circumstance, I go like fully into my grief and then I'm going to want to be at home if that happens, right? Like I want to be near my bed. (laughs) But for this, we want to attend to the sensation, but also stay in the world. So keep your eyes open if you can and breathe as many times as you need to so you can feel your feet again. So really, and then to get out of it, I would recommend feeling your feet on the ground. So you might actually like physically push them into the ground. You might wiggle your toes, but like, if you think of a tree, find your roots again. And only when you're ready, only when you feel your roots, then you can stand up and stop leaning. Then you can stand on your own two feet. So, so again, that's just a mini practice of 
feeling it overtake you, leaning into that, like literally kind of surrendering into it, finding some support, not ignoring it, finding some support and placing your hand over your heart or somewhere else grounding and breathing into that space as many times as you need while keeping your eyes open. Beautiful. Beautiful. And if you're in a situation where you can, it doesn't feel as overwhelming, you feel like you can choose and you don't want to cry in the middle of the grocery store, make sure you make some time to do that later. Like don't just stop it right then and then keep going on for the rest of your day without attending to it later. Find some time, even if it's just 10 minutes later to do the same thing, to attend to where your grief is living in your body and let yourself breathe. Wow, that's beautiful. So we get to decide whatever you choose. Don't judge it. Yeah, and if you can, like sometimes you can't decide, but if you're in a place where you can. Right, Mm -hmm. but that spina, that back support is very important Mm -hmm. and just placing your hand over your heart. Now, I know without a shadow of doubt that a nice, gentle, conscious breath can just bring you back to your center no matter what is going on. Everything Mm -hmm. stops when we focus on the breath because the breath is life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we start to go into that meltdown, we're out of what? We're out of our bodies. Mm -hmm. And that breath will bring you right back in, right Mm -hmm. back in. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay. So what's going on in your life? What are you up to now? And yeah, tell us what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do this work. So this is my work in the world. I help people connect with their bodies to move through grief. And I'm enrolling for both of my programs right now. So I have a group coming up that's for folks with fresh grief. So roughly a year or a year and a half or less uh, following a loss. Yeah, it's for loss from a death. And the application closes September 1st, and we'll start the week of um, September 13th. So I'm enrolling for that group right now. It's a virtual group, and it goes for eight weeks. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So I hope if that interests any of the listeners, feel free to reach out to me. And I'm also enrolling for my other, my sacred grief program. And this is my kind of signature program. And it's for all those people that we talked about earlier who are feeling stuck in their lives or their relationships or their bodies because of older grief. So like two years or more. Mm-hmm. And if you are feeling either, you know, like your grief runs the show all the time, or you just don't feel that zest or that vitality for life that you used to feel, you just want to feel better, but you don't know how this program is for you. So it's 12 sessions. It's like private chat support and you get access to lifetime movement and art videos, lifetime access to those. And it's really about connecting with your body to move through that and to finally find your joy again, find your vitality. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm enrolling for both of those things right now. Okay. So we're going to make sure we put your links in the show notes for someone who forgets to listen or even read the show notes, tell them briefly one social media platform they can go to, to get all of this information. Yeah. You can go to Instagram. I'm at move your grief. And you can also go to my website, which is gracebellaharman.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow, I so appreciate you. I yeah, always thank you so much. get a little mesmerized and just want to listen. You have a wealth, a wealth of knowledge. 
You do. Move your grief. So thank you to our listeners. And I will see you next week. In the meantime, keep on growing. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.